Welcome, dear listeners. You have joined us at the Podcasting Guild After Dark Edition. After Dark. <laughs> <laughs> we might be a drink or two in as we take the time to review something other than Babylon 5 today. In fact, we're going to be looking at a fan favorite, Galaxy Quest. For me, this is like the opposite of Babylon 5. I don't think I saw it in theaters, but I definitely saw it like, you know, we rented it from Blockbuster and stuff right after it came out. What's so Blockbuster? I remember this from when I was like 12. I don't know what Blockbuster is. You have to explain that to the youths out there. <laughs> you go to a physical store <laughs> and look through all their movies and I actually have pretty fond memories of going to the Blockbuster with my family because any movies my dad didn't like, you know, if we wanted it, he'd have to explain to us why he, it wasn't a good choice. And sometimes it was because they were rated R or whatever. But sometimes you'd just be like, no, it's this movie about a, you know, and he'd just like roast the plot. You know, so yeah. we wouldn't want to watch it. So, yeah, good times going to Blockbuster. Yeah, it was a common practice for my dad to bring home two or three movies on the weekend that he rented. And we just would watch a variety of weird things <laughs> that he found. <laughs> Some of it was good. Most of it was pretty mediocre, to be honest. But when you don't have the ability to look at reviews ahead of time, because the internet didn't exist no, yet. it's true. You know? It's true. You had to judge all those proverbial books by their cover exactly which after all is what the cover is for so you know let's not knock it too hard yep yep anyway yeah galaxy quest i loved it when i first saw it i was like the perfect age for it yeah and i think it's aged incredibly well <laughs> it's so strong it's not perfect i do mm -hmm. have a couple things i don't love about it but on the whole it's absolutely fabulous Anyone who's watching this who's a fan of Bat 5, I assume has got to have seen this movie. It's such a, you know, sort of loving send-up of the whole sci-fi adventure genre. Yeah, yeah. And it's not like mocking and belittling it. It's clearly written by people who love the genre but want to make fun of it. And I think it's... <laughs> I think that's why a lot of the jokes are, like, land so well. Yeah, yeah. Well, aside from a couple scenes... I have a, uh, a bit of an edgy hypothesis here. Oh, okay. And that is that... Let's hear it, Mr. Edge. Galaxy Quest isn't so much a parody of the Star Treks and the mm -hmm. world around Star Trek as it is the culture of those shows, the acting culture, the people that participated in them and things like that. I think it's more a parody of the, the real life behind the scenes of Star Trek and the culture around Star Trek, and less so the actual show Star Trek. That's my hypothesis here. And I That's intend an interesting to hypothesis. provide some evidence yeah. for this as we go through. Well, I look forward to being convinced. <laughs> I mean, my one of my favorite scenes in the movie is the, spoiler jumping way ahead, is the, the chomp room, where, of course, they yeah. comment in Galaxy Quest universe what probably everyone thought. If they thought about it for a second, like, why are there these, like, you know, <laughs> dangerous paths through these space stations? And, yeah. You know, what is the purpose of these? I guess a lot of the time it's a spinning fan blade and the idea is, you know, some giant air duct. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Mm -hmm. So before we dive into it real quick, since this yeah. is the podcasting guild after dark, we have to <laughs> inform our friends out there what it is we're uh -huh. drinking so they can drink along with us so what are you drinking tonight andrew oh i'm drinking a two towns uh hard cider Very which nice. has a special place in my heart because i actually lived in corvallis oregon when <laughs> two towns opened and went to their little opening shindig and maybe it's because of that that i'm biased but i actually like them more than i, I like I, I don't really usually like cider so yeah, I like them more than almost any other cider because I don't really like other ciders. We're not sponsored, by the way, guys. This is just We're not. free, free advertising. Free advertising. For drinking. How about you, Eric? What are you drinking? Well, sir, I am drinking Fugitives Tennessee Artisan Spirits Grand Gossier Tennessee Whiskey. Whoa. Okay. All right. You came. Yes. <laughs> 
Made with heirloom corn. That was a long name. There was a lot of separate words in that that whiskey name. Yeah. Yeah. I got it when I was in Tennessee, funnily enough, a couple years ago. Oh, yeah? It's and you've it, how old is it? How long has it been with you? I've had it for like two or three years. I got just before oh. uh, COVID. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. Nice. nice, but it's not half bad, you know. Ninety-six proof, so two drinks in, we might be having a slightly different show, but we'll see. Oh boy, I'm already. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We got to keep it together, Eric. Sadly, though, the uh, flavor of the whiskey is being slightly hampered by the fact that I burned the roof of my mouth sometime in the last day, which is really annoying. <laughs> that That is annoying. Now you're not tasting your nice whiskey. Not to the uh, same extent I would like to, unfortunately, but one does what one must. <laughs> you're so, it's your cross to bear. It is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> All right, let's talk about this movie. Let's dive into it. Let's dive in. I'll let you have the opening word. What do you want to get off your chest? Well, okay. This, again, (laughs) speaks to my hypothesis that this is more a parody of the culture around Star Trek and less of the actual show Star Trek. So, point number one. It starts at a convention. (laughs) It does, It starts at a convention. Galaxy Quest starts with this kind of, I don't know, maybe slightly overwrought trope of the lead actor being into himself <laughs> and the supporting actors just being tired of it. And to be sure, I think there was a little bit of that with William Shatner and the rest of the cast early on in, in Star Trek lore. But yeah, so, you know, it starts with uh, the the crew of the Galaxy Quest NES protector at the convention for all the fans of Galaxy Quest. And, you know, they're there doing meet and greets and stuff like that. And of course, Tim Allen's character uh, shows up half an hour later or whatever. <laughs> Uh, half drunk, I think, or maybe he was drunk later on, but yeah, so he shows up and is greeted on the side by some odd people that seem a little bit out of place. This would be the actual aliens that are at the convention to... He reads them just as like probably cosplayers. Yeah, yeah he does. Just like people dressed up as aliens and like the show at a million aliens. Who can remember what yeah. they all look like? Yeah. Yeah, so we do open on the convention... And see, I thought, you know, they definitely play with, you're right, like the actual actors themselves and sort of the convention culture and like all that is is definitely part of it. But I don't know if I agree that it's that it's the highlight, you know, because a lot of the character interactions like and Mm -hmm. I'm specifically thinking of Tim Allen's character. Right. Uh, What is it? Jason something. Sorry, I didn't take it. Jason Ironheart. No, that's not his name. Yeah, right. Something else. Jason you know, Nesmith. Him and, and Sigourney Weaver's character, like them being romantically entwined felt like Hollywood. Yeah. Right? That didn't feel like they were playing on the relationships between actors working together. That felt like, oh, it's a leading man and a leading lady. Of course, they're going to end up together, which actually really bugged me. They didn't, you know, I feel like this this was like in 1999 or something. So it was kind of just by default that a leading man and leading lady would end up getting together. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that, it's one of the things that, that I don't, I'm not crazy about in this movie. One of the few things that yeah. I would critique is that their characters had all this sick of each other tension, at least Sigourney Weaver's character did. And then, you know, and a lot of her characterization in the movie is sort of making fun of least sort of cynically commenting on like oh what, my only article written about me was about how my boobs fit in the <laughs> uniform right? right and stuff like that and sort of making the, the movie was very aware of how female characters just get bit lines and mm-hmm. are just sort of eye candy but then she ends up in a bra at the end of the movie making out with right. the main character so and i think that again speaks to my hypothesis here because if we were to look at it in parallel to star trek the original series we see obviously the leading lady in that series was michelle nichols who rest in peace she recently passed away but her character had a lot more behind her than sigourney weaver's character did i think sigourney weaver speaks more to the again the trope to, that you're pointing out that a lot of the leading ladies in sci-fi in general or in sci-fi community in general are just viewed as eye candy, at least at the time. I think certainly there's a lot more maturity about sci-fi nowadays and leading women in sci-fi certainly play a much heavier role and much more serious 
acting is involved. But I think Star Trek in and of itself always did a little bit better with that. There are, of course, exceptions, right? Well, you're talking about the next generation. And I think it's important to point out that this movie is sort of combining the original Star Trek and the next generation. Because the next generation is like this very cerebral like thought provoking Mm -hmm. right it like opens with q and a treatise on human morality the original circuit was super pulpy super pulpy throwing fists having straight up fist fights with aliens making out with the hot damsel in distress that they're saving right captain kirk shit like that but what i'm getting at is that the leading actress on the original series nichelle nichols who played uhura she wasn't really fit into that eye candy role right yeah she had more behind her yeah there was eye candy in tos to be sure and kirk had his way with or did many things with many women of all kinds of colors of the rainbow but michelle nichols was much more i mean i wouldn't say necessarily cerebral character per se but she had much more about her than just being eye candy she had a role to play she was actively engaged in much of many of the plots and other things like that but yeah it's that's just what I'm getting at from that standpoint. So Gordon Weaver plays much more of the stereotyped character from sci-fi in general, sci-fi culture in general, less so Star Trek specifically from that standpoint. It's true. Yeah, you almost can't do anything referencing this kind of trope of sort of exploration adventure in space without referencing Star Trek because it, it, you know, it made the genre and like, you know, is is still, uh, you know, basically iconic. All right. Anyway, so we're at the convention. We don't have to walk. I don't want to walk through the plot. Yeah. I don't want to do that. Everyone's seen the movie. You absolutely should go watch this movie. It's worth your time if you haven't seen it. It, It's held up really well. I think it came out in 1999. Mm -hmm. But let's see. Anything else at the convention we want to call out? It basically just establishes, yeah, the main character is, is a jerk. And I guess my other critique of this movie, which again... A plus overall. These are like the only two things I don't like about it. Yeah. Is that Tim Allen's character starts off a jerk and they kind of make a small nod at the end at, to him having learned something. Mm-hmm. Like he had the rest of the cast bow with him. Right. Yeah. Which may be a symbolic of some deep personal change, but none of that is explored, you know, mm-hmm. explicitly or anything. So he's kind of just a jerk. I don't know. It, it just feels like at the end, yeah, it turns out he was the main character. He was right to be arrogant <laughs> and egotistical because he. it turns out he was the protagonist. Right. You know, This is, I think, my favorite Alan Rickman him as Dr. Lazarus. Mm-hmm. And the convention is such a great introduction to that character where he's, I went to Juilliard or whatever he said, I actually <laughs> don't remember. <laughs> yeah. He's basically a sophisticated English stage actor that's now fallen to a role in sci-fi. Yeah, exactly. Akin to Patrick Stewart, who famously did Shakespeare before Star Trek. And from his point of view, actually didn't think Star Trek was going to go anywhere. So when he did the first season, he didn't actually stay in anywhere but a hotel room because he wasn't thinking that there was going to be much from Star Trek when he took the role. (laughs) And, you know, funnily enough, I think his name is Jason Alexander. The guy who plays George Costanza in Seinfeld is also a classically trained actor and had a relatively prestigious stage career before Seinfeld and then took this part in what he thought would be like, you know, a one, two season little situational comedy and turns out like defining him and he never is able to get another role that doesn't somehow reference that character. So yeah, classically trained. He's one of my favorites in this movie. Yeah, And it's sort of become a little bit, I don't know if a meme is quite right, but you see it referenced on the internet a lot. But I absolutely love when they're at the ribbon cutting <laughs> and he just pulls this line out of him with, with you know, so much loathing and venom <laughs> by Grabthar's hammer. What a savings. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm laughing too much to even, you know, give it, give it justice. But it's basically the only line you need to hear to understand this character right. at the beginning of the movie. He's basically questioning what he's even doing there because he had such a prestigious stage exactly. career. Exactly. And, you know, that's one of the things I love about this movie is one of the sort of themes is that it was worth it, right? His character did have an arc where he came to respect 
the sort of show he was on or, you know, like the kind of universe. Now, right. I guess fair enough. If it turns out to be sort of real in, in the way <laughs> that it does, that does lend it some credibility. But I did like how the movie, even though it's making fun of the genre, the, the theme of the movie is still, you know, it's not trash media mm-hmm. that's beneath you. It's like, you know, it's fine. It's great. Yeah, it has its own weight to it, its own yeah element and heart to it so i think another actor that had a really great role in this was sam rockwell who played the character with no name yes guy <laughs> he played guy yep guy <laughs> <laughs> the red shirt and i love i absolutely love how self-aware he is yeah. <laughs> it really is i mean yeah the cast is so great tony what what's what's his last name monk Shaloub. the, the shalhoub yeah tony shalhoub's character who is just nonplussed yeah he didn't actually get much to do other than making out with the cute alien girl it's true but the bits he has are absolutely golden i mean yeah. when he gets teleported and he's just like <laughs> wow that was crazy and everyone else is vomiting and like <laughs> losing their shit and he's just what's wrong with them yeah and tim allen's character i don't know come on let's go i gotta show you some stuff <laughs> Uh, yeah, one of the, one of the best scenes. Yeah, I want to briefly talk about the scene where the aliens come to Tim Allen's house. <laughs> yeah, they find him drunk and that, passed out. Yeah, I, you know, hungover is usually the term we use for that state. Yes, and that's brilliant. Both when they're saying how honored they are to be in his presence, as he's basically mooning them. Twelve-year-old <laughs> uh, me thought that was the funniest thing anybody had ever written. Or, you know, in any, 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 any movie ever. And, of course, there's that little gem when he asks them to help look for his shoe. <laughs> and the aliens start looking all over the place, including, like, up on the ceiling. Right, yeah. <laughs> Which is such a beautiful touch. And I'm sure you already realized this, but Dwight is an alien. He's one of the three main aliens. Dwight Schrute, yep. He's in there. Yeah, good old Dwight Schrute. And I do know the, the actor's name, but... I'm, I'm not i'm not finding it in the whole brain the old brain hole right at this moment anyway yeah he's one of the main aliens and i think the characterization of the aliens how the actors played the aliens is just brilliant yeah i love their sort of stilted way of talking mm-hmm. they don't swing their arms when they walk which is what makes their walking look so sort of <laughs> unnatural and forced yeah and I just thought he did a great job of sort of being funny and being this character consistently. He had to talk that way all the time. He had to talk that way when he was delivering funny lines like, oh, how you've grown, <laughs> you know. And he had to talk that way when he was delivering the pathos of the movie and being tortured and realizing his life was a lie, basically. He had to talk that way for all those lines. Right. And he makes it work. It's it's kind of incredible when you think about it. At least I think it's incredible. Yeah. I, I really like the Thermians. I like their portrayal. Um, the Thermians being the, the friendly aliens. Yeah. That, that's Mathazar the, the, that I'm specifically referencing. But yeah. One thing I didn't like, though, the bad guy. The bad guy was super generic green alien guy. That And I mentioned this when we were watching this because we watched this together. But he reminded me a lot of the bad guy's from the fifth element and a lot of the character design and the ship design for the bad guys reminded me a lot of the characters from the fifth element i'm not sure there's probably some parallels there and maybe the designers were informed by the fifth element because i think the fifth element came out a couple years prior to this you mean like the grunt right the soldiers. grunt soldiers right? yeah. yeah yeah with those big blocks right. sort of and you know obviously the primary premise of the show is not so much them fighting the bad guys as the actors that portray the characters in Galaxy Quest, realizing the reality of their situation and the other things it's team building comedy sort of thing, less so fighting the aliens. So I'm not sure that they had a lot to give or to work with from the aliens perspective, from the bad guys perspective, but I don't know. The the bad guy just seemed super generic. Yeah. Well, I kind of agree with that. My thoughts on that are that yeah, I think they could have made a bad guy that also played on the sci-fi tropes. And I think a probably like a good writer and, and you know, someone who, who did it cleverly could probably also make them threatening and raise the stakes of the movie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, basically the only role that Saris played was to be 
a serious actual threat in this world of sort of clowns right you know all the, all these people that talked funny and said funny things and all of it was goofy and fun but they had to have an actual villain right doing actually villainous things that right he wiped out their home world and whatever my question is how because he had one ship <laughs> it's true he had it's true he had one ship there were several scenes of him shooting lots of things at that other ship and the other ship Definitely took some damage, but I've seen planets. I've actually, yeah. in fact, <laughs> lived on a planet my whole life. I would be willing to bet it could take more punishment than that ship. Yes. So how indeed. Now, maybe he didn't blow it up Death Star style. Maybe he did it the much more realistic and darker way. But like, still, he did have just one ship. One ship. Plot hole. Come on, guys. Come on. Yeah. Where, come on. where are we at? Come on, y'all. But yeah, I think Cyrus's only role, really was to raise the stakes and to sort of light a fire under right under right the it was just characters he's like basically an adventure story, a generic right? plot device to force the characters into a difficult situation um, he didn't really have much more other character development beyond that to be honest which was probably the biggest disappointment for me in terms of the, the movie was just the, the lack of that character because like you said they could have done so much more with it they couldn't done like crazy scientist guy with well, you know. <laughs> but they needed someone that would like scare reality into the yeah. into the cast, right? Because like when they first have that encounter with Saris and he like right shows them the head of their of his lieutenant, yeah. And there's, then there's that cut to all them like fast walking down the <laughs> hallway, like no to that. Yeah. But you know, I think one of the reasons why they went with such a straightforward, simple villain that didn't need any monologues and didn't need any here's how i'm going to use science to be evil like it's such a tight movie there's no fat on this movie the characters are introduced at the convention right there's the call to action where they bring tagger up and he like gets the rest of the team to come and there's the excellent introduction to this new world (laughs) right with them walking down the hallways and getting the meal prepared for them all that great stuff and then they counter Saris, get shot at. Their ship breaks down. They need to go get the beryllium cube or uh, sphere. They get the beryllium sphere. Saris comes back. It's the final battle. It's actually a really tight movie. This is back in the day when movies used to be an hour and a half long. <laughs> yeah. It's Not true. three or four hour long it's epics true. that required a, a break between, you know, sequences. <laughs> It's true. Although, you know, I will say I was a little, yeah, what is it? Hour 42 yep. for Galaxy Quest. Yeah, that's a t- 7.4 out of 10 on IMBD. Nonsense. <laughs> Nonsense, I say. Who rates this stuff? Who well, I might have brought the rating down slightly because of my hypothesis. And uh, yeah, <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> anyway, yeah, what were we saying? I don't know. That's the danger of doing a podcast while we drink. It's like. <laughs> We're not that good at podcasting stone sober, so, you know, <laughs> we don't really need a handicap. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, the plot, like you said, is is fairly straightforward. Kind of normal hero arc, <laughs> for the most part, from the, the plot there. And obviously, the character portrayals, I think, are really where the meat of the movie is. That's where a lot of it is at. It's less, the, the plot is just a plot this is fairly straightforward from that standpoint what are your thoughts on the best character in this show do you think that or or in this movie do you think that alan rickman was the best one i mean alan rickman's character now now i'm that now that i'm on there we go imdb i'm looking at the name so his character alexander dane Mm -hmm. i mean is excellent and on r.i.p alan rickman yep i don't know i think mathazar who is played here by enrico colatoni <laughs> mathazar kind of stole the show in my opinion for all the reasons i said yeah you know is that he had to both be sort of the staple alien mm-hmm. and kind of set the alienness for all his compatriots he was also you know, not the comic relief because it's a comedy. So, right. so everyone was funny in, in some scenes, but part of some of the funniest scenes and his deliveries are some of the best. And like I said, for him to 
have to use that goofy ass way of talking yeah to deliver all these hilarious lines and all these really heart-wrenching lines that again just add all the pathos to the movie like Mm -hmm. tim allen's character there's nothing pulling on your heartstrings at least for me alan rickman has that one scene where he's sort of comforting his dying protege Mm -hmm. and that that's a good scene that that has a lot of pathos right emotional Mm -hmm. weight but uh it's really mathazar i think that gives the movie its its punch right and and makes you makes you really root for the root for the good guys so I don't know. I think I got to give it to 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 Mathazar, the the main alien. Although Alan Rickman's character, <laughs> for sure, is absolutely brilliant. Close second. Yeah, for me, I think the true comic relief in this is Guy and his just <laughs> constantly flipping out about not having a last name, only being a one episode character. He's probably gonna oh, die. Yeah. He's scared oh, yeah. of everything. And I think Sam Rockwell did such an amazing job with that character, just because he had to your point like Enrico was there having to do a lot of really heavy lifting for the emotional part of it and then Sam Rockwell had to do kind of a lot of the ridiculous stuff uh, from that standpoint. I, I mean I agree Guy Guy was a brilliant character Sam Rockwell did a great job what I think makes him so wonderful is that he was he was the fans right, right he was right. who the audience of this movie <laughs> was meant to be he they even called it out in the movie he was the only one of the of the crew who had watched the show right yeah <laughs> you know he's like didn't you guys ever watch the show what are you doing which exactly just made him be brilliant because he was the only or like the most self-aware character yeah, and he... the most like the character who's actually looking at the events through the lens of a TV show and right. story. And I love it when they're on the show and he's like, you know, I regret uh, <laughs> asking to come along. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, after all the fuss you made about not being left behind, he's, he didn't say the word red shirt, but that was basically, he's like, I'm the red shirt. I don't have a last name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was absolutely brilliant. It was great. And yeah, it's just, I mean, I've seen Sam Rockwell take on serious roles. Well, and he's a great actor. If you ever get a chance you should watch the movie Moon, where he plays okay. a much more serious role. But he does a great job in that, too. It's basically a one-person movie, for the most part. There's another actor in there that plays a robot, but for the most part, it's just Sam Rockwell the entire time. And it's a really good movie. You should definitely watch it if you get a chance to. And perhaps maybe we'll review it at some point. Who knows? Yeah. But yeah, I loved his portrayal. And he's like the super fan that made it onto the TV show. And he's, he's just yeah. so excited to be there. And... Just wanting to be, and then he realizes what's going on, just completely flips out, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. The one time he gets included, right. it's an actual mortal life and death situation. Right. He's like, "Why did I want to come along?" And when they land on the planet, and he's don't know, don't open that. You don't know if the air is breathable. What's going on? Yeah. Is there air? Is there air? Yeah. Tony, Tony Shalhoub's just like, oh, seems fine yeah. to me. Yeah. I do Love wish that. that they had more for Tony Shalhoub to do because I like him as an actor. He didn't have a lot to do. Neither did, did the actor that played Laredo, uh, Daryl Mitchell. You know, he didn't have a whole lot to do either, unfortunately. But to your point, it was a very tight script. And the parts they did play, did they did really well from that standpoint. But I just wish they had more, particularly for Tony Shalhoub to do in, in this uh, in this movie. Yeah, it was kind of impressive that they had this sort of entire five-man band dynamic, right? Right with with the core cast, and then actually a sixth man in in Guy. So I I feel like there were actually quite a lot of main characters for a, for a movie this short. Yeah, they did a you know, great job. Right, not everyone got a lot of screen time. I think Tony Shalhoub's the the few lines he did get were really good, mm. and. Yeah, I, I just sort you know, how how nonchalant he was about everything was, I don't know, just, it was maybe it was just funny. <laughs> I don't know if I have anything more profound to say about what it had to the movie, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, they did a really good job of establishing all the characters in that ensemble. By the end of it, you know who everyone was for the most part, kind of how they, they were and their character traits for the most part. But they did a really good job with what little they had to work with, particularly with like Tony and, and Daryl who played uh, Lieutenant Laredo um, on there as well. I also really enjoyed the three super fans. Oh, yeah. The super fans that were helping them out. Helping save the day. Yeah. Yeah. 
and both how the movie is sort of giving this very uh, superficial kind of making fun of a little bit portrayal of these kinds of super fans that accumulate all this detailed knowledge about fake things mm. and um you know i think today with fantasy football being so mainstream and marvel universe being so enormous and complex i think it's a lot more mainstream for people to know lots of useless facts right, about yeah. fictional worlds but in 1999 it was a thing to be mocked for the most part and so that the show had them actually helping to save the day with that information i thought was very sort of empathetic and loving kind of send up or right or, or, uh, making fun of this this kind of trope or this kind of uh yeah caricature some people might call them nerds oh yeah <laughs> yeah nerds 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 nowadays it's cool to be a nerd but back when we were growing up not so much (laughs) it's true it's true i feel a little i can't help but feel a little upset by it yeah honestly (laughs) yeah anyway yeah what else what else to say about this movie eric well if you had the chance to improve this movie yeah yeah what would you do to improve it if anything Oh, I would definitely remove the romantic subplot yeah. between Timmy and Alan's and Sigourney Weaver's character. I think, I think, explicitly subverting that would have you know fit right in with the rest of the movie. It it sort of sticks out like a sore thumb watching it now as an adult. Mm-hmm. How it's so self-referential, or, you know, not self-referential, but so sort of the movie is so clearly aware of all these Hollywood tropes and is so, and is taking the piss out of all of them right. for them to give in to the most cliched romantic <laughs> subplot that with nothing behind it. I guess their characters had gone through a dangerous situation together, but other than that, it was established that they had been working together a long time. Right. They didn't really like each other all that much. They hooked up once and, and Sigourney Weaver's character was over it. And, <laughs> Tim Allen was a little pushy. The fact that they gave in and said, actually, they were meant to be together. <laughs> I was just like, Ugh. so I wish they hadn't given in that. I wish maybe, you know, even Tim Allen had gone in for a kiss at the end scene and she like slaps him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what What are you doing? Are you kidding me? We work together. Damn it. What are you doing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or I don't know. So, yeah, that I thought that was a uncharacteristically <laughs> weak, you know, weak point in the movie that otherwise did such a wonderful job of you sort of making fun of the ridiculous tropes yeah i mean what do you think of the other romantic pairing with tony shalhoub's character and the cute alien girl there's like no development there either it just kind of happened (laughs) it's true and it's what was i gonna say so i think you're right there is no development and it's mostly just a joke right like played for laughs like they don't really I think I think there's some eye contact <laughs> that is supposed to fill in for the entire development of this relationship. Right. They like make eye contact in one scene, and that's basically what we get. And then the next time we see them, they're like holding hands. Well, no, they're making out in front of Sam Rockwell's character. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Sam's like, whoa, okay. Yeah, exactly. But I think the fact that Tony Shalhoub's character is so weird and doesn't really have much of a character it's just like his whole character is just being chill Mm -hmm. in this chaotic (laughs) environment and that in of itself is funny contrasting him with all the people freaking out yeah so i think they could get away with that because there almost was no character there so like you didn't have to wonder how does this person with with these opinions square that with making out you know with a (laughs) tentacle creature yeah but he's into it he is his character, when they get off, he gets off the transport, was like, "That was awesome. Mm-hmm. I loved that." He's just into this whole other world, which I love. All the other characters are like a little disgusted, a little terrified, mm-hmm. but he's just like, "This is great. What are you talking about? This is the best." Yeah. <laughs> Who else? I guess the only other main character we haven't really talked about much was uh, Tommy. Yeah the um or or uh i'm looking at imdb so i guess tommy was the actor's name i don't remember what the tommy is the character and then lieutenant laredo is the character he played on tv show daryl mitchell is the actor yeah the pilot yeah the young pilot 
and I thought he did a great job too. Yeah. I thought he was in some of the best parts. The scene where the ship is leaving the dock. <laughs> yeah. And it's the first time he's flying it and just you know he like <laughs> scrapes it against the edge. Yeah. I mean that was just brilliant. And it was sort of a I think emblematic of what the whole crew was doing. All of them are doing this for the first time. They're making it up as they go along. Bad at it initially. Yeah, exactly. And then when he's flying like an ace at the end, again, it's sort of emblematic of all the crew actually fulfilling the role that their characters did. Tim Allen finally being a leader and Alan Rickman comforting this his protege mm. as he lays dying and swearing revenge <laughs> which seems like the kind of thing dr lazarus right, uh, right the only galaxy quest character character i could actually remember the name <laughs> so out of ten what do you give it nine and a half nine and a half nine and a half, nine and a half. It's, it's, okay it's an excellent excellent movie yeah um <laughs> There's a couple things where I just feel like they didn't know better in the in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Maybe if they made a movie like this today, they wouldn't give in to dumb tropes after <laughs> making a whole movie about making fun of dumb tropes. <laughs> well, speaking of that, if you do want something Galaxy Quest adjacent. Oh, yeah. Hit me. The TV show The Orville is a good option for that. Okay. The first two seasons of that are definitely very much Galaxy Quest adjacent. I've heard rumblings as well in the past of bringing Galaxy Quest back and that sort of thing, but I think Orville is probably the closest you'll get to that. And it, it's very much in the same vein of Galaxy Quest, perhaps a bit more so a true parody of Star Trek. Where I'm Googling it now. It's yeah. got Seth, Seth MacFarlane. Seth MacFarlane like. is the writer and lead actor in it. So, for those of you unaware, cool. Seth MacFarlane of Family Guy fame, and what's the other one? Uh, I think he does American, American Dad. Dad or something. Yeah, but yeah, Seth MacFarlane. He wrote the show, so he wrote himself as the main character. Go figure. <laughs> Go. That's that's a very Captain Chris Tagger thing to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely very much in the vein of pulpy Star Trek, but with a humorous bent to it from that standpoint. So. Definitely well, check, it will check it out. Uh, that nothing has scratched this particular itch quite like Galaxy Quest since mm-hmm. it came out for me. So yeah, I will check it out with all the copious free time I have to watch. Oh, so much free time! <laughs> so much free time! All right, well, Man, yeah, this was fun. I like <laughs> talking about talking about uh, uh, Galaxy Quest. Yeah, maybe maybe in between every Bab Five season, I we think should. we can squeeze in that. Find some yep. gem. Great movie, though. If you haven't seen it, you 100% should. If you have seen it, watch it again. I hadn't seen this for years, and it holds up really well. The bad guys, yeah, they're a little bit goofy and green and not quite as intimidating yeah. as when I was 12. But <laughs> uh, overall, honestly, the movie holds up really well. Yeah, and it's got it's got the late, great Alan Rickman in one of his best roles, in my opinion. So, what else to say? What what would you give it, Eric? What do you what do you, what would you rate it? What do you think? Um, and if I you know all those questions, I want to bounce them back. Yeah. To. What would you rate it? And if you could change one thing, what would it be? Well, for me, I would definitely do something more with the bad guy. Yeah. Okay. Do something a bit more interesting with the bad guy rather than just generic green alien villain. Make it a little bit more plausible, you know. I think. For me, it's still a fun romp. It's a good, lighthearted show, a lighthearted movie. You know, this came out on Christmas Day in 99. <laughs> I just saw that. Christmas Day. Christmas Day, yeah. Which, I guess, odd time period to release a movie, but hey, there you go. I think it'd probably get a solid seven and a half for me, maybe an eight, as it is. Uh... You shut your <laughs> mouth. You swine. How dare you? My, I mean, like I said, it's it's more a parody of the culture around sci-fi in general. Yes, it takes liberally from Star Trek here and there, but more generally a sci-fi parody of the cultures around sci-fi and sci-fi fandom and the actors mm-hmm. in sci-fi, right? Which is fun, but I'm, I wouldn't go as far as some of those people that say that Galaxy Quest is within the Star Trek universe as like an honorary Star Trek movie. I don't go that far. 
from that standpoint. But it's a fun show, fun movie to be sure. I'm going to be totally honest. I think I like Galaxy Quest more than I've liked any of the actual <laughs> Star Trek movies. Uh, now, now, granted, none of those are comedies. Right. <laughs> so maybe I just like comedies more than like action adventures. But yeah. uh, if you if you ask me what I would rather spend an hour 40 doing, watching Galaxy Quest, I think would win out over yeah. watching any hour and 40 chunk of star trek movie <laughs> i think that's fair i think that's fair to be sure you need to be in a, in a certain mindset to truly enjoy this the star trek movies particularly the, the really good ones like the wrath of Khan or on discovery country and that sort of thing so a couple things before i wrap up i have a proposal for our next podcasting guild after dark episode Oh, wow. Okay. We, we haven't even started season two of Fab Five. You're already hitting me with ideas. All right. Let's, 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 let's hear Let it. me put this out there. Have you heard of the movie Zardoz? Uh, that's the one with Sean, Sean Connery, Connery in a loincloth. In a, in a loincloth <laughs> doesn't even, it's like, uh, it's a leotard banana. banana right. It's, I mean, it's like if you took a bikini bottom and stretched it so that it was over your shoulders. Right. That's basically yes. what he's wearing. Yeah. I'm not sure. Like, have you seen it? I've never seen it. I know it by that image specifically. <laughs> I saw it years ago in college. It is a very bad 70s movie, but it might be worth a, an entertaining watch. Well, the most famous line from it, I okay. think, is I'm quoting the movie here, so don't don't. Don't crucify me on this, but this is the movie quote. Don't at me. So the most famous line from it is, the gun is good, the penis is evil. <laughs> Wait, what? Yes. For real? Yeah. It's a 70s LSD trip movie is what you're watching. What going <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Well, there you have it, everyone. Eric saying that his personal opinion is that the gun is good and the penis is evil. That's that's what he believes, everyone. You heard it here. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. That sounds pretty weird. Is it in so bad it's good territory? Is that why you're suggesting yes. it? Yeah. Okay. All right. So bad it's it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> But um, up for discussion, great. so we might do that for our next podcast in Guild After Dark. With that being said, we have Science Corner we're going to jump into real quick. So let's jump over Science there. Science Corner After Dark. Science Corner After Dark. I'm escaping to the one place that hasn't been corrupted by capitalism. Space! This better be some spicy science, Eric. Oh, it is. Because it's after dark, in the dark, with the James Webb Space Telescope. Have you seen those images? Those are amazing. Oh, I don't know if I've seen, have some come out this week. They've released like the first five or seven images from it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, those are epic. Just seeing the, uh, what was it? Not the Crab Nebula, but the Horseshoe Nebula, I think. But yeah, those images are amazing. If you guys haven't seen those images from the James Webb Space Telescope, which were released a couple weeks ago, definitely check them out just amazing to see okay i do i do want to just comment so i i googled james webb telescope just to see if there were any latest images and (laughs) the only story coming up on google right now the top story that some scientist who posted a slice of like (laughs) pepperoni (laughs) instead it was a photo of a distant star and what caught my eye is Stars are big, but they're not big in the cosmic sense. Right. Like the only star that we can actually see the surface the shape of, of yeah. is the sun. Mm-hmm. Other stars are just specks of light. And and the only reason they have any volume at all in pictures is due to the light diffracting through the telescope lens. Mm-hmm. Were it not for light diffracting, stars would be invisible. Because they they're specks of light so tiny that it just doesn't make up a, a single quote unquote pixel, you know, yeah. of your eye. So, yeah, no, I knew it. I I think the scientist probably meant it uh, as a joke. Although the number of 
I don't know. Maybe not. There's so many news articles about yeah. it. Maybe people fell for the ate the onion, but no. Uh, yeah, there's there's no pictures of distant stars that actually have like volume. Right. Right. Anyway, so that was some not science corner. Some real science corner is that the James Webb telescope. I think they recently found in the recent deep field image they released mm-hmm. evidence of a star like 250 million years from the Big Bang, which is the farthest we've seen into the past, which is super cool. Yeah, that is very cool. Yeah. It is super cool. The thing is, at some point, the universe was so bright that it was opaque. Right. So there's kind of this limit to how far back you can see how far away, you know, looking farther away is akin to looking back in time. Mm-hmm. And because in the early universe, it was opaque, there's a, a physical limit to how far you can see anything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is very super interesting. And it's where physics starts not starts but one of the places physics gets the most philosophical is, right. is when it's looking at these very early cosmic phenomena and trying to think seriously and and you know quantitatively about what the universe was like back then mm-hmm. it's cool stuff it's over my head <laughs> i don't know i had i had friends who, who t- took classes in that stuff yeah but I never one of the things that, that I read about a while back and it's always kind of thrown me for a loop is that because of galactic expansion, we're constantly moving away from other stars at some point in the future, our distant ancestors will look up into the sky and won't see any stars or any galaxies because they'll be so far apart that the light won't be able to reach them. And so we're at a very interesting point in the universe where we can actually see the other galaxies, other stars distant from us and look back and potentially even get to the edge of the Big Bang in 100,000, probably millions of years from now, you won't be able to do that. You'll be able to see the stars in your galaxy, but you won't be able to see other galaxies because they'll be so far apart from each other that the light won't be able to reach them in, in a lifetime of a person. <laughs> that, that is one possible future, mm-hmm. yeah. Cosmic expansion is definitely a fact. It's not... T- for sure, it's not settled like how cosmic ex- expansion may change over right, time right so so we don't know for sure that everything is just gonna it's one you know it's actually one uh one theory of sort of how the universe ends it's called like the heat death right mm-hmm. everything or actually there there is one potential end of the universe centered on this cosmic expansion called uh, the big rip mm-hmm. where the you know the the force pushing everything apart is getting stronger and stronger you know in this theory until it literally rips molecules apart right. you know, and, and stuff like that but yeah it is it is one you know idea that everything's even in that scenario though the galaxy is gravitationally bound and gravity is overall much stronger even though um, it's the weak force in physics <laughs> it is the weak force uh, and cosmic expansion operates you know it over much larger distances. I mean, technically, gravity also operates throughout the whole universe, right. but it, it can overcome galactic uh, cosmic expansion mm-hmm. on a galactic level. And, and there's actually even a local galactic group that I think is, is sort of orbiting each other. I mean, we're going to crash into Andromeda in a few million years, right? Yeah. Yeah. So here, interesting fun fact, galaxies do collide, <laughs> but no actual stars collide when you do the math on how (laughs) far apart stars are and how big they are compared to their distance between each other two entire galaxies passing through each other each of with consisting of billions and billions and billions of stars the chance of any two stars colliding is is almost zero (laughs) it's basically zero but what you're saying is there's a chance right yeah what i'm saying (laughs) is there's a chance so I found that disappointing. Yeah. I was, I thought I was like, like imagining how incredible it would be if for two stars to crash into each other. Yeah, imagine and, you know. witnessing something like that. That would be amazing to see. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, yeah, for, for a brief moment. Well, assuming <laughs> you're in a spaceship, you can jet away right? at any time, right? So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That would be cool. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Man, space is awesome. It is. Love, love me some space. It is. 
Look for some uh, links in the show notes for those images to the James Webb Space Telescope that have been oh, released nice. recently. Yeah, thanks, man. So we'll have those posted. Cool. Yeah. So any other comments before we wrap up tonight, Andrew? With the podcast I, know, I, think, after I think I left it all on the table there. All right. I'm four drinks in at the moment. I'm still hanging, though. <laughs> you sound good for being four drinks in. I am not four drinks in. I'm I'm like one drink in. Well, I, I can still uh, talk with some level of intelligence, at least. Yeah. yeah that's that. good, good for you. I'm a lightweight. <laughs> I wouldn't be talking like that if I was four drinks in. Yep. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, everyone. Yeah, thank for you for joining us, everyone. Romp through through galaxy quest yeah i had a lot of fun a lot of fun as always before we wrap up just a couple uh production notes real quick so with this end of summer wrapping up we have some travel plans going on back and forth obviously i think andrew's traveling i'm traveling i have my fucking 20 year high school reunion coming up language sir oh wow really (laughs) 20 year high school reunion so (laughs) we'll see how that should go just to rub your success in everyone's face yeah i'm a podcaster i mean really what's going on guys (laughs) Yeah. What are you, an investment banker? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gross. Lame. Nerd. Nerd alert. <laughs> um, but with all that being said, we're going to get back to Babylon 5 with our next episode, which will cover Season 2, Episode 1, Points of Departure. Let's go. Which, do you want to hear a synopsis now, which might give away a couple of things, or do you want to wait until you watch it? No, no, I don't want to hear okay. a synopsis. I haven't gone into any of these episodes knowing the synopsis. I'm not going to start now. All right, we'll do that. So How dare you? Keep an eye out for that episode coming in the next few weeks. Again, we have some travel plans going on, a few other things going on, but we'll be coming it'll back. Be, it'll be a minute, yep. is what Eric's saying. Exactly. Be patient with Just us. like with you Babylon 5, we have breaks between our seasons. So this is kind of our summer break, if you will. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. Thanks, everyone, for spending the time with us thank you everyone Thanks, yep. any last words andrew before we uh, call it a night uh good eating to you a good eating and drinking to you because it's <laughs> the podcasting guild after dark after dark that's right, <laughs> all, right. Okay. all right bye-bye see ya all right we are recording are you recording hello. sir hello i think i'm recording do you see the wavy lines on your screen? That means you're recording. I see, I see the wavy lines, but that might be f- from the drink. <laughs> Excellent.